Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. So good to have you with us, everybody. Hope you're off. Your Monday is off to a great start. We're thrilled to have you here. It's Monday, October 3rd. Hard to believe we're already into October. The leaves are turning. It's getting cooler across the country. We have got a gorgeous fall day going here in Central Texas, and we appreciate you joining in with us, wherever that may be from. We see people dialing in, again, from all over. Really appreciate you doing so. And excited to have you join us as we got, I think, another lineup of a great program. Of course, we have the regular program. We'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, but we also today are going to be talking about one of the most important topics. I heard someone once say that 90% of the value of your company walks out the door at the end of an each day business. We're talking about your people. In the book, Good to Great, David Campbell and James Collins said, get the right people on the bus and get the wrong people off the bus. So how do we do that? Well, we've got Matt Strahl, who's done a great job of doing that with some companies, and we're going to have him on as our guest talking about the ways in which you can be impacting and effective at having the right people on the bus and getting the wrong people off the bus. So we're excited about that. Yeah, it's kind of down the lines of recruiting, but it's a lot more. So you're going to want to stay tuned to the Hot Topic segment. A special thank you to Alice Joe and all those that joined, Sam's here. I think we're going to have Paul dialing in. Hopefully, I'm not sure if the Prophet Doctor is going to make it today or not. I haven't heard from him. Hopefully, he will. But it's really good to have you all here. Yeah, I see Paul's dialed in. But I want to say a special thank you to all of you guys that dry, make this program so. Uh, but here in, in the, of the quality, the content you bring is just really appreciated, and our listeners know it as well. Special thank you goes out also to our sponsors, ArchMI, the creator of the new innovative Rate Star program, Motivity Solutions for their intelligence that they have, business intelligence technology providing real-time reporting dashboards and scorecards, Velma for what they do when it comes to their set it and forget it email auto campaigns, auto email campaigns, and also what they do when you help you create custom campaigns on the fly. I tell you, the more I work with Brent Emler, the more I'm impressed. I'm serious, guys. There's there's technology and there's people, and it's always the people that make the technology work. And Emler is just, I got to tell you, Brent is just gifted at this. So check it out at Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A.com, or call Brent at 208-854-7909. Yeah, there may be cooler technologies. I don't know if there are, but you know, it's really about the people. That's what we're talking about today. Also, Simplifile, speaking of great people, Nancy Alley and the team at Simplifile do a great job. They have technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents in a real-time chat and messaging format, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arrive. And it's all done in a real-time electronic communications format. How convenient, how cool is that? So you can can have a complete audit trail of all the communications. Nice, should something go south and someone and you find yourself in court, to be able to have that audit trail is huge. So check it out at simplifile.com at 1-800-460-5657. Also, D&H, 
who helps move your world forward through technology. They have a business that's been around for 140 years with 5,500 employees and eight and 8,000 clients in 70 countries. And they have got some new innovative applications that are out. And it's the D or the MortgageBot mobile app. We've showcased that at the Motivity Conference and I had Dan on talking about it. And, man, I tell you, I've sat in on several meetings with that since then, and I am really impressed with what this can do. And their approach is somewhat unique than what others do. So you need to check it out. So go to DH. That's simple. Two letters. DH.com. Check it out or call them at 1-800-815-5592. We're going to be doing our broadcast from the conference in the D&H booth at the annual conference. Looking forward to that. Then always, we are grateful to be a part of the Mortgage Collaborative, which is really the power of the network. And it's five past presidents of the MBA that came together, formed the Mortgage Collaborative, and it gives you the ability and us, its members, us members, to really interact in a really more intimate way with the professionals and leaders of our industry. We're really grateful. And the MBA is behind this one. So they're very strong at helping you connect with the right people and doing so in a major, in a really positive way. Check it out, Mortgage Collaborative, www.mortgagecollaborative.com, or call Rich Zerbinski at 440-552-0691. Again, the power of the network. Again, thank you to Alice, Joe, Andy, Paul, and Sam, and the crew that make this program possible. The next event that's coming up on the calendar, of course, is October 23rd through the 26th up in beautiful Boston. Gorgeous time this year. The leaves are turning. I hope you can get in there. We're flying in a bit early to do the fall leaf tour, but this is a great conference. Yeah, James Taylor's playing major good. Got David Stevens, who does an amazing job. He and, he and uh, the whole team there at the NBA, Marsha, does an awesome job of bringing together, I think, one of the most compelling conferences, and this one is a sellout. I mean, sold out. People are going to be wall-to-wall, bumper-to-bumper. Uh, just everywhere at this conference is at the Haynes Conference Center, Convention Center in Boston. Check it out. Go check out the website and make sure. We look forward to seeing you there. And if you're going to be there, we look forward to having you at the uh, come by the booth. Love to say have you say hi and get you on the air. And we'll be doing the, the broadcasting from the DNH booth. Also, October 30th and uh, through the November 1st will be the AmeriCatalyst Fast Forward event. That's at the Omni Creek Hotel and Resort here in Austin, Texas. Tony Moss and her team put on an amazing conference, and it is, again, uh, like Andy Shell says, it's, it's at a graduate level it's, or a, a doctoral level. It's really high end, very, very thought-provoking. It's like a think tank, so some of the brightest people get together. November 10th, the Whole Loan Trading Workshop in Phoenix, Arizona. November 15th through the 17th, the Accounting and Financial Management Conference at the Manchester Grand Hyatt in San Diego. Check out all the conferences at the MBA Education website, as well as join the Mortgage Alliance when you're there. Joe Farm, good to have you here, my friend. Looking hey, at Dave. the market, I just I, I always tell you, everyone who does not look at your screens, you've got to go get that free trial and get signed up because this is Thank so. You. We make it pretty easy. Point. You do, and I need easy, especially when it comes to complicated <laughs> topics like secondary markets. What's going on today, my friend? Well, not a lot. We we're down a little bit. The uh, ISM Manufacturing Index came in a little stronger than what was expected, and that caused a, a drop in MBS prices of about 3.30 seconds, which is uh, where we stand right now. Actually, we just ticked up to down 2.30 seconds. So uh, construction spending also came in, uh, and it was a little stronger uh, than expected, but uh, was not – oh, I'm sorry, it was a little worse than expected, but was not worse. enough to offset the uh, the stronger-than-expected ISM Index. So. 
Um, but then uh, let's look at last week, which was really pretty much all about the Fed. You know, it was uh, MBS prices improved a little bit last week on a net basis, and, and end of the week near, you know, close to the best levels of the year, Dave. Um, early in the week, there was concern over. I'm sorry, the the Fed meeting was not this week. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a little concern over the strength of the European banking system. I've been writing a, a monthly report that uh, did focus on the Fed. So, uh, and uh, and the European weakness in the European banking system, uh, you know, concerns about that caused a little shift to safer assets. The announcement of a 14 billion dollar fine by the oh, Department yeah. of Justice against Deutsche Bank, uh, the Germany's largest bank, you know, increased those concerns. Uh, but then later in the week, uh, a couple things happened. One, there were rumors that Deutsche Bank's fine won't be anywhere near that much, and in fact, it's uh, uh, there have been reports that it might be as low as five billion. Still five billion, but uh, and then OPEC oh, also announced an agreement. Yeah, no, no problem. Uh, OPEC. Seventeen to five. What the heck? Uh, OPEC announced an agreement to cut oil production, and um, you know the stock market's kind of been following the price of oil, and that cut uh, drove. Oil prices up at least a little bit, and uh, stocks rebounded, and, and MBS gave back some of the some of the earlier, or, or got back some of the gave back some of the earlier gains. The uh, the you know the most important economic data that came out during the week was the core PC, PC inflation. It showed a slight increase. Uh, you know, still well below the 2% target. It had been level at 1.6% for the last five months, and this month, it, or August, it increased at 1.7%. And, uh, yeah, it's not concerning, but it is an increase, and it's something for, you know, the Fed to consider. Uh, during the week, consumer confidence and con- consumer sentiment came out showing improvement. And so, you know, when you got happy consumers and you got low mortgage rates, that's pretty good for the housing market. And then uh, in the housing market, both pending home sales and new home sales were down a bit from last month. Uh, low inventory was cited in both, but still at fairly healthy levels. Uh, the third estimate of second quarter GDP, which is really old news by now, but uh, it was revised to be 1.4%. That's up just a little bit. And for the week this week, Dave, we have uh, really it's all going to be about the jobs report on Friday. It comes, uh, or the consensus is for 175,000 net new jobs, and so we'll see what uh, what happens there. And before then, we'll have ISM services that will come out on Wednesday. Uh, so it's really a fairly light week, but uh, you know important events nonetheless. Obviously, the jobs report is going to be uh, a a big report to uh, could be market moving, so need to pay attention. And do you think the ADP employment change report is going to have any signal? Does it typically signal what we can anticipate with a non-farm payroll report? Yeah, I'd, on Friday, I'll give it report? credit. I give it credit for being a little better than it had been, but it's it's not reliable enough to uh, really change people's opinion about what's going to happen in the non-farm payrolls report, and therefore it's not a big market moving event. Yeah, well, I think it's going to be really interesting. The non-farm payroll report is anticipated to be, you know, last month it was 151,000 is what your website says. So, um, you know, that, that's an, we'll see some nice job growth. Hopefully we'll realize that. Hopefully that will be realized. Yeah, the earnings, it's still down the from, earnings, uh, I'm yeah, sorry, it's still, it's still down from very big numbers two two months prior to uh, to the August numbers. So 
Yeah. That's one thing. I, I love everything you have on here. I wish I could click on and see the graph of the historical graph. That would be really, really cool. Average earnings also anticipated to go up, so good good metric for things going on there. You do a great job. This website is so clear, concise, and to the point. It is just outstanding. You know, I'm, I, you know then I, listen, leave it to me. I'm going to want to try to add this. Could you add this? Could you do that? But it's really uh-huh. good. I, I, I got oh, that. You. You, you guys knock the cover off the park, out of the park on this one. And you get free, you get free membership, and they can learn about that. I listen yeah. to this app. Be right back with Paul Malo. He's on the line, and we're going to be back with him in just a minute. Stay tuned so you can learn more on how you can get signed up with MBS Quote Line. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quote Line delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up to the minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quote Line, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quote Line today at mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Yeah, it's good to have you here with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in. And we've got Paul Malo up. I've got his website here. I've got his website up. and We've got his mic on is what I'm trying to say. Paul, it's good to have you here, friend. Appreciate okay. you joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm looking at your website. Great job again. Another, I, I'm just hooked on websites when they're clean and concise and bring it to me real easy. And yours does because you got the bullet points and then you can click on the articles to get into more knowledge. But let's take a look at and if you could run through some of the headlines, that'd be appreciated. Sure, uh, John Bancroft of our staff uh, crunched the uh, the numbers for Fannie and Freddie for the first half of the year. And you know, one thing he came up with uh, the, the so-called GSE patch. Uh, those are mortgages that that don't fit the uh, normal. Um, you know, high debt-to-income ratios. And he found about 25% of what Fannie and Freddie are, are uh, buying these days, uh, you know, normally would uh, be uh, above that 43% DTI. Uh, but they have the so-called patch, and they don't have to worry about it. <laughs> so what does this mean? Yeah. It, it, it sort of means that the GSEs, you know, have loosened their underwriting a little bit, Um you know, and that's a, that's one of the biggest problems with with the non-conforming market is is that DTI ratio, uh, and we're going to continue to keep an eye on that. So it's interesting, uh, mortgages um, or housing, I should say, it's it's expensive, and some people are stretching their budgets to to get a mortgage. So keep an eye on the DTI and the GSE patch. Uh, Collingwood, we had an interview with them this morning. Uh, the folks that run their uh, new uh, capital advisors group. Uh, you know, they expect uh, some uh, M&A activity to pick up and more consolidation. We talked to uh, Mark uh, DeGenero there as well as Tom Booker. Um, you know, consolidation in the industry, listen, there's been a lot of smaller deals that have happened, asset deals this year. But listen, there's been no big deals. There's been, there's been yeah. very few big deals. The big one everyone keeps waiting on is PHH Corp. Uh, no one thinks that's going to be hold, uh, sold as a franchise uh, deal. It's going to be some kind of liquidation of its assets, more than likely, and uh, that's you know that's the biggie right now. Um, people also wonder what what's going to happen with Aquin. They're not for sale per se, but uh, their stock is still three bucks a share, and they can't buy MSRs, and they continue to lose money. Are they going to do sort of a self liquidation? No one's saying that yet. 
But it's you know it's being talked about in, in certain circles. What is the future of Aquin? What is the future of PHH? Two big companies that could those two could fall into the M&A arena somehow in the next uh, year or two. Uh, non liquidity. I'm sorry, non QM liquidity. We had a, a very good subprime or, or new non prime webinar uh, about ten days ago with Dan Pearl uh, of Citadel, Tom Hutchins of Angel Oak, uh, and Matt Nichols, Deep Haven, and, and some other people. And it was really a really good webinar. They talked about liquidity in the market. There's money out there. There's warehouse money out there for certain kinds of non-QM loans. Uh, very interesting uh, webinar we had and story on the website. People should check that out. We did a, a crunch of uh, the retail data for the first six months of the year. Probably no, no shock here that loans that come through the retail, uh, retail channel tend to have higher credit scores. Um, also, something that, that came out late last week, uh, I think it was roughly 38 ministers um, in New York and in in, from churches in the five boroughs weighed in to their elected officials, their federal officials, I should say, in New York State, uh, regarding the future of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. That letter sort of came out of nowhere. We, you know, it was just interesting wow. that the churches, the clergy weighed in on this. And they basically fear that without Fannie and Freddie, uh, they'll be known to serve low- and moderate-income communities, uh, Hispanics, um, the Hispanic and African American communities, and other minorities, uh, and they weighed in on that. Uh, you know, they had a phone number in the letter that was sent out by the 38 ministers, and uh, I called the phone number, and I got some weird message about you know returning my call via something called Google Voice, and I never heard back. I called about 9:30 um, this morning, no word back. I just wonder, you know, why suddenly they're weighing in on the GSE issues. There's nothing imminent. Uh, but you know who knows what who put them up yeah, to it. There's there's no chatter on from any of the presidential candidates. Zero chatter about <sighs> housing, much less mortgage, no. which is no, uh, no. There's oh, housing non-issue. Let's face it. Let's <laughs> if you want to talk about the election, there are no issues in this election. It's no all about the candidates. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't don't get me started. Uh, yeah, and then we have short yeah. takes. Uh, you know, uh, Joe, Joe Garrett writes a, n- a neat little newsletter for his clients, and I, and I get a copy of it every week, and it, it's always fun. And Joe talks about one of the uh, company reviews he did uh, on a CEO who, you know, on paper looked absolutely wonderful. They went in, they did a, a review there, and he described the CEO as, as sort of beyond horrible. Uh, he didn't mention the person by name, which, I, of course, I understand, or the company. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, it raises an interesting issue about people who recruit you know some there's some people who look good on paper uh and then yeah. you look at performance and it's a whole different ballgame. I know you're involved in a lot of these uh headhunter CEO things David and I'm sure you you know you see people on paper who look absolutely wonderful and then you you get down to the nitty-gritty and and the personal thing and and the return on equity and suddenly you wonder you know what what's going on here. Um how so. did they get to him? I I'm just dumbfounded why some people get to where they get to in this and uh it's and, and and I'm also has wondered by why some really solid people aren't are playing a bigger role in some of these companies. So yeah, that's we're gonna be talking about that in the hot topic segment. So that's that's a big sure. focus of our of our program today. Yeah, you're right. That's so true. That's yeah, good that Joe writes on that. That's good. I mean what I like about Joe, he just doesn't care. He kicks over sacred cows. He he doesn't he just he's old enough he's going, I'm 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 cooled myself. I'm having myself. He gets right out there and just says it like it is. I like that. I like that about what Joe does. So that's good stuff. Lots of good stuff in your website and the short takes all the way around. Have we got all those covered? Budget season has started. What's that about? Looking at your. Oh, that's, you know, it's 
people starting to plan for next year. I mean, this this is no secret. Uh, But what, you know, we understand the people I talk to on a weekly basis, it seems like the non-banks are sure as heck a lot more optimistic than the banks. Um, You know, this is an ongoing story where banks are ceding market share to non-banks. And one other interesting tidbit on, on the website, we... Ginny May has got, you know, on their homepage, and if you, they're talking about their profitability, and they mention, unlike the GSEs, Ginny May is profitable. <laughs> and <laughs> wait a second, the GSEs are profitable. We pointed they are profitable. this out to them last week, saying, uh, do you know what's on your website? Uh, and anyway, they haven't got back to us, and I would hope by now they've uh, taken that reference down. So anyway, that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> That's about it. Well, great website. Good job. You do a good job, you and the team there. And uh, be sure to say hi to Guy Sakala and all the team there. You guys really do a good job. And also your newsletters beyond that are a great resource for the industry. Got a great Thanks. product. Love what you do. And I'm very fortunate to have you come on and join us. Thank you, Paul. Really appreciate it, Thanks friend. So. Have a good week. You bet. You too. Now we head over to Alice Alvey. So good to have you on the program each and every week. And how many times, Alice, when you come on, do you are are you um, in a place where you are helping us with so much uh, with the content when I'm running around? So I'm looking. There you are. You got your mic turned on. I was looking for you on the switchboard, talking away and going, getting distracted. Anyway, Alice, good to have you here. You were just at a conference. Give us an update. Yes, I was just uh, speaking at the Mortgage Bankers Association Risk Management and Quality Assurance and Fraud Conference. All rolled into one. So. On uh, Wednesday, the opening day, I spoke with Zachary Dawson, who is Director of Collateral Policy and Strategy at Fannie Mae, and we uh, spent quite a bit of time talking with lenders about collateral and underwriting and uh, appraisal issues, and it was just great. The audience was a fabulous group of lenders um, who shared a lot of information, a great interactive session, and you know, what's great, and you get in an environment like that, you realize all those appraisal myths that people think are still out there, you know, how far away should a comp be? How close should it be? What's the date and timing of the sale? All of that has completely changed in the way that Fannie and Freddie write their guides today and the way collateral underwriter has impacted the market. So um, for those of you who haven't embraced collateral underwriter yet, I strongly recommend it. Um, It has changed the way lenders operate. There's always that learning curve of companies having to adapt to the change and underwriters feeling like they just lost a little bit of control and having to relearn things. But it really does bring efficiency, and it's really causing a big change in the industry. Um, In that group of of, uh, companies that were there, I would say uh, at least 60% of them were part, have moved collateral to be a separate process now. It's not part of underwriting. If I have a, so an underwriter looks at credit, and then they have a separate, separate position that is a collateral analyst. And we've seen more companies move to this. It's been a process over the last year, and now it's really seemed to have turned a corner. And those who hadn't made that shift yet, we're definitely starting to think about it and asking lots of questions from those who had. Um, so they're all, the industry seems to be in various stages of adapting CU. It's only been around a year and a half, and uh, I'm going to borrow Zach uh, Dawson's joke. He says, you know, BU is old enough to drink, and CU is just a toddler. So, because um, BU is 21 years old, Danny and Freddie say you yeah, ask. That's right. So, yeah. Um, you know, that's so a great I way to that He said I could borrow yeah. it, so I'll, I'll give him credit. But anyway, so quite a few things that came out. The system does seem to be weeding out some bad appraisers. I mean, when you look at the statistics they provide, you can't deny that there's a lot of sloppy work out there. 
I mean, there, there's certain quality ratings and data entry elements that shouldn't vary whether something's a subject or a cop or whether it's used by two different appraisers. The square footage should match. <laughs> and so, you know, the appraisers that are pushing back, um, all of that is starting to really um, be something that lenders have to cope with today in light of the appraiser capacity challenges. Um, so it was a great session to talk a lot about that. If you need some more information, you should feel free to reach out to your Fannie Mae reps or your, if you're a correspondent, reach out to those that you sell loan. You know what? Reach out to Fannie Mae directly anyway, and they'll be happy to come out and conduct some sessions. They, they've done an amazing amount of training, and they're going to keep doing that until folks get the right message on that product. Uh, so as far as the rest of the conference, just great group of people, lots of really great sessions. Um, you know, for those of you who are on that risk management side of the business, it is absolutely a must-attend event. And, um, you know, if you're, even if you're very experienced, um, even the very experienced clients we have who we saw there uh, had some good takeaways. Um, so that's, uh, that's that on that conference. I'm going to give you a couple other quick notes here. Um, CFPB did post their notice about the 1003 and that um, collection of this, what we call the expanded Humda information. So for those of you who haven't seen it, the new 1003 is not going to just have a box for Asian. You can check off Asian as an example, and then it'll open up to show Asian Indian, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, Filipino, Vietnamese, other Asian, and you can enter in the race. Um, Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islander opens up, you know, so we call these collapsible, right? Same with Hispanic or Latino. There's more detail that the consumer, the borrower is allowed to self-identify. These are optional. Um, lenders can, at their discretion, start letting the consumer self-identify starting January 1st of this year if your system will let you. Now, a lot of folks are going, that sounds like right around the corner, Alice, and I'm not ready. Um, so technically it starts to begin that this will be permitted uh, widespread um, by using the new drop-down boxes beginning January 1st of 2018. All this opens up some additional Humda reporting requirements, so be sure you read the CFPB memo to understand what would happen. Um, another thing that, that um, came out is just FHA does have a proposed rule now for their new condos. This has been in discussion. It's now published. You can go out there and comment. Um, you can, so the comment period ends November 28th. There's a lot of good stuff in here, folks. You want to comment on this. The real estate community will be commenting on this because they want some of these as well to open up that condo market. So they're going to reinstate spot approvals. Uh, they want to extend the recertification from two years to three years. They want to reduce the owner occupancy because right now it's at 50%. And they want to open up to allow a range of 25 to 75. Be careful. You hear in the market people saying, oh, FHA is going to reduce it to 25. No, they're not. They just want permission to change the range. <laughs> That's what's happening in the proposed rule. It doesn't actually change that the current rate is going to be 50%. Um, there's some new requirements on um, DE lender approval lenders um, who will um, right now change, it'll change their requirements for what they can approve for condos. So definitely take a look at it, folks. There's lots in there uh, to comment about for FHA condos and open up that market. Uh, last but not least, BB&T is the latest for the False Claims Act. Uh, I was trying to listen to Paul's bit. I, I'm not sure if he brought this up. He may have brought it up last week. Um, but, folks, you have to go read the details on every single one of these FHA um, components because they do give specifics in a fact sheet that you need to read and go, do I have that in line in my shop? Um, so in this case, one of the things that jumps out at you in this one is the number of loans increased but, uh, that we're having uh, problems and audit problems 
and the volume increased, but the QC staff didn't increase, right? So FHA is going to look for those types of things. As a matter of fact, all your auditors kind of do. Uh, so it's those little tips that fall in there, and uh, we're happy to share you share many of those with you. Um, so don't hesitate to give us a call if you have a question. Um, so Dave, I'll I'll wrap up there and um, hopefully uh, see folks at the national conference. It's just a couple of weeks yeah. away. Yeah, you'll be in the booth with me at the D&H booth talking and sharing with our people so you get on the microphones. we got the real nice, super cool studio set up, so it'll be fun to have you there. So it'll be awesome. Great job. Great. Look forward to it. Thanks, Dave. I am looking forward to our time together, as always. And then hopefully you stay on because I'm interested in getting your thoughts as you, we listen to Matt talk about the recruiting. love to get your comment on that if you can. I don't hope Absolutely. You are, so fine. All right, good, good, good. Folks, we're going to be right back after this brief ad break. So you can learn more about how you can connect with Alice and her amazing team and Indicom Mortgage U. We'll be right back after this brief word with Sam Garcia. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. So good to have you with us, everybody, and we're so fortunate to have Sam Garcia here with us on the line. There, I got your mic on, Sam. Good to have you with us. Hope the temperatures up there in Dallas are as nice as they are down here in Austin. It's wonderful. David, I was talking to my uh, mom this weekend, and it sounded like the weather here in Dallas was better than in Southern California, so that's a rare event, but I loved it. (laughs) It was good. Yes, (laughs) it's wonderful. Well, I'm looking at the list of all the things. I shot you a quick email back. I I tell you, I'll look at the list. There is so much information on here, but there's something more I want to start showcasing a little bit about what you cover. And so let's cover some of these stories, not all these stories, because I want to have a few minutes with you, Sam, to talk about some, I think, some really important features about your website and what you offer. So let's pick out the top few stories here that you think are the most interesting, and then I want to get I want to go a new direction a little bit with some things that I want to highlight. Sure. Um, I think the biggest story, because we just did put it out today, was that uh, fixed rate uh, mortgage-backed securities issuance on behalf of Fannie, Freddie, and Ginny was $158 billion last month, according to the data we get from EMBS. That was the biggest month for the three uh, agencies since November 2012. And just at Ginny May, last month's issuance was $51 billion. That was the biggest month ever for Ginny. So, uh wow. Wow, big ever, month ever, reflecting, ever. of course, uh, you know, recent big production. Yeah. Uh, what were you going to say? I was going to say that's the biggest month ever, ever, ever. Wow. Yeah, they had already uh, – Jenny reported last month, of course, that they had a record uh, month for issuance. So that was the prior month's information. So this is just a, kind of a follow-up. We'll see if that's a peak or not, huh? But um, Well, I guess I mean, one of the things I'm thinking about on that, Sam, is that because they um, – because in the last housing cycle, when we had such extraordinary volumes, the agencies weren't involved in that. That was when we were going with the crazy money, the Wall Street money, and uh, we were doing all these unconventional, non-conforming, non-agency type products. So I, you know, I was, I was thinking, gosh, it could be more then, but you know, we weren't, they weren't using Jenny and Fannie, Freddie back then as much. 
Yeah, and, uh, and of course, uh, we had a lot of crazy products going on. And I think, we, you know, as we've talked about before, that we'll see some of these, uh, obviously it's not going to be subprime or crazy all day, but we're going to see a little bit more reaching out by a lot of the lenders out there once uh, we're done through this refinance boom, which has just been so extended, you know, because of unexpected uh, low Fed rates. And uh, it's just, you know, keeps pushing that refinance volume. But I think we'll see maybe a little bit of extension out there. And, of course, we are seeing some uh, non-agency securitizations happening more often recently. So I think that trend's likely to continue because people are looking for yield. Yeah. Well, let's cover a couple more headlines that you've got here that are big. some of the big issues. I, I can see a couple that pop out to me. Uh, the FHA settlement of BB&T, I mean, that's always it. But run through these real quickly and love to get your take on the Wells Fargo debacle it is uh, what's going on there with all that they did. So give, give me some of your thoughts on that, and then I want to make our listeners aware of some things that you have on your website that not everyone's aware of. So go cover a couple more headlines real quickly. Well, you know, when I think of Wells Fargo, I think of a company that really came out of the financial crisis just looking great. I, re- I remember uh, the, the CEO chairman back at the time when these uh, SIVs, was it Special Investment Vehicles, I think yeah. it was, yeah. he said he'd never even heard of them uh, because they weren't into that crazy kind of stuff like uh, some of the more complicated institutions out there were. So, you know, they had such a stellar reputation. Um, of course, in the mortgage industry, uh, they were they are the biggest lender, the biggest servicer. Um, so it's just like, wow, you know, what a, what a, a, a crazy situation to tarnish that that great brand they had going there. Um, I'm sure they'll come through it, but I mean, it's pretty huge when an institution has to fire 5,000 or more people uh, because of this. And then you wonder, um, is is there going to be any criminal prosecution on either these employees or the executives that knew about it? Um, It's pretty crazy. And I felt, I actually felt kind of bad for the CEO when he was in front of the Senate Banking Committee and uh, Elizabeth Warren was just (laughs) ripping him apart. It's like, wow. Ripping. (laughs) She was, that was where she wanted to be, obviously, and obviously where he did not want to be. But uh, um, I, I'd like to see them come through this because they really have been a stellar brand out there, and they've done an incredible yeah. job growing that business to my, the size it was. You, you know, know? I've, I've got my mortgage with them, and they do a stellar job of servicing that. I mean, i got to tell you, it's a quality-class company, and to see this other division, the other side of the company, make a big blunder, it's uh, it's a black eye for them. And I, I tell you, it, it, it's going to have ramifications. This We have not seen the end of this one. It's going to get politicized. Anything that can get politicized in this election season is going to get politicized, and you can just hear the candidates start firing up, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a stump for stuff for stuff. Stuff and actually, it was bipartisan. You know, there was nobody yeah. that went on easy on this guy, uh, either on the, in the Senate or in the House. Uh, you know, testimony that he gave. So it's uh, it's a kind of brutal, that's for sure. But uh, you know, it's funny because this last week we had a lot of uh, litigation, that, and that's something we really focus on is uh, litigation uh, in the mortgage related. And of course, there was the RBS settlement with the NCUA for over a billion dollars that was tied to MBS that were bought by the failed corporate credit unions. Um, Wells Fargo had another separate settlement, much smaller. Um, but uh, it was a, in a class action that uh, there was a lot of uh, robo calls that were made in violation of uh, what's allowed on, on those type of calls. Um, U.S. Bank settled with uh, the district or, or with L.A. County, should I say, um, over uh, the 
the condition of properties. And the funny thing is, is I don't even think it was the servicer. It's only the trustee, but it was just like, let's move on and get this behind us. Um, Ditech had a settlement because they made allegedly too many calls to Massachusetts borrowers as many as 12 times a day. So, uh, you know, there was a, there was a several mortgage-related uh, settlements and agreements that we covered last week. Uh, and that's always big reading. And we, we get a lot of uh, attorneys that read our stuff because we do cover that kind of stuff. One of the things I want to focus on, Sam, in, in your website is some of the data that you do. There's a lot more than just the great articles, and you do have some really good articles, but there's the data there. So could you just showcase what I want to start doing each week is start talking about one piece of information that you're on there just to get people start familiar with beyond the articles why they should subscribe to your site. Well, you know, um, what's been uh, something that came to prominence since the financial crisis as we watched foreclosure rates and delinquency rates just skyrocket um, was we started collecting all this, you know, we were already reporting on the foreclosures and, uh, and delinquency levels, whether it be 30 or 60 or 90 days on first mortgages or all mortgages. Um, but that obviously became that much more important when the crisis hit. Um, so, we started putting these things in tables. I mean, we've got all kinds of organizations, the Mortgage Bankers, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, and Black Knight, and uh, CoreLogic. They all report foreclosure and delinquency data. So what we've done is just put it in these tables um, by year, and of course, most recently, let's say for this year, year to date, to show those numbers side by side. And uh, it makes it real easy to just go through and you know, if you're looking at these tables and they go back, some of them to the like to 1990. That's how long we've uh, collected the data from. Um, if you go to them, you can actually click the latest numbers or numbers from prior years and read the story that that came from, and more. You know, you even get more details about it. So, you know, if you're looking for performance data, I'm yeah, sorry. That's what I want to point out. That, that's what I wanted to point out: the dynamic nature of the data and how you can literally look at the stories that are going on around there. I think that was just. So cool. I ran, ran across that. So it's good. Good stuff, Sam. Very good. I'm really – I love your website. It's got some content in here, and it's, the, it's how you bring this data together. Kudos to you. I am thrilled to have you be a part of the podcast and that we're doing, and I encourage people to get out, especially for those that are looking at uh, understanding and getting historical references, not only what's going on currently, that's on your website, but also the historical data. It's just really good. Excellent stuff, man. Really appreciate you. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, David. You betcha, man. I'll be calling you here after the program to talk about some more ideas I got. You do a great job, and I want this up. I want more people aware of what you're doing, friend. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. Well, let's get over to Jim Jump. So good to have ArchMI as one of our sponsors, and let's hear a word about the Rate Star program. Jim Jump. Hi, David. Thanks for having me on, and we're happy to be a proud sponsor of the program. And today I'd like again to talk about RateStar from Arch Mortgage Insurance. RateStar is a revolutionary tool that allows mortgage originators to dynamically price mortgage insurance and match coverage to ArchMI's most competitive rates. And that's important because it allows you to compete more effectively, qualify more borrowers, and of course close more loans. That's the power of RateStar. Originators from around the country are letting us know just how quick and easy RateStar is to use. And all you need is your NMLS number, and you can access RateStar anywhere, anytime, using multiple points of entry, including most LOS systems, product 
product and pricing engines, and through our websites at archmi.com and archmicu.com for credit unions. And of course, it's available through our mobile app for smartphones and tablets. RateStar makes it easy to choose what type of mortgage insurance coverage your loan needs. You just touch, tap, and go. Quotes are delivered in seconds and represent our most competitive RHMI rates based on the strength and quality of the loan application. And I have to tell you, David, getting a mortgage insurance quote has never been so powerful or so simple. And with that, I'll turn it back over to you and say thanks. Have a great day, everybody. Appreciate it so much. Appreciate what the job that ArchMI is doing. They're really, really kind of challenging the rest of the industry to step up to another game. And that app, Rocket, uh, excuse me, went to Rocket Mortgage. Uh, RateStar app is really good. It's right up there with Rocket Rocket Mortgage as far as getting attention and being a good disruptor. Check it out. Be sure to go out and check out their website. Go to our website. Click it on Lenny. You can see. Click on the ad, and you'll go right there. Also, want to say uh, Andy Shell is not going to join us today. He is out at a, his daughter's graduation. He's attending a, an event right now, and we're texting back and forth. He said he wanted to make sure our listeners understand that he is doing part four of the NBA accounting webinar. It starts uh, that starts again. It's going to be on Thursday, October sixth, on Thursday of this week. So check it out if you're not a part of that. Uh, we're going to go there. We're going to be back in just a few minutes with Matt Strawl, who is uh, going to help us really sort through getting the right people on the bus and getting the wrong people off the bus. But first, we're going to hear from the phone, our friends at Motivity Solutions with a KPI of the week. This is an interesting one. Underwriting to closing. We're kind of getting, uh, so you look forward to the month, what's going to happen, see what the date is, what's the KPI that can help you track that more effectively. Hello, Dave. Thanks very much. Great to be here as always. And this week we have another key performance indicator related to TRID. And the KPI is underwriting to closing days. And like all TRID metrics, the focus is the estimated closing date and how far in advance a file should be submitted to underwriting to make provisions for any and all underwriting eventualities, possibly multiple resubmissions, and leaving enough time after final approval to finish the loan and deliver the closing disclosure on time. A very common practice for lenders that have automated their analytics with mortgage business intelligence like Movation is to have the system automatically send email alerts to participants on those loans that are running late and at risk of missing these milestone deadlines. Now, this allows loan participants to continually reprioritize their workflow to ensure they remain compliant, clearly demonstrating again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will thank you once again and turn it back to you. That was John Maynil, uh, who is the uh, individual, the, the vice president of client services there. Does a great job. Check it out at motivitysolutions.com or call him at 303-721-9000. Without further ado, let's get our special guest on to the program today. And Matt Strahl is, again, an individual I've just recently gotten to know and has we've partnered up together working on things related to the industry. I mean, again, our business, my business, is called Transformational Mortgage Solutions. We're here to transform the industry. And one of the ways you do it, there's three things. There's three Ps of transforming anything or if you're involved in any business. That's, first of all, your people, your process, and your product. And we focus on all three of those. And today on this podcast, we're going to be talking about the people and how to recruit. Matt has been in the real estate industry since 1986. He was initially started selling real estate franchises out in L.A. Then he wound up in the lending business in 1988 and was a partner in two very successful correspondent with two successful 
lenders, correspondent lenders, and then managed a national title insurance agency, worked for Fidelity Informations as well, which was also known as Black Knight back then and, and, and is now, excuse me, uh, First American CoreLogic, DataQuick. I mean, he's been around. He's done a lot of this. But most recently, I ran into Matt at the MBA Mortgage Tech Conference out in L.A. earlier this year. We actually connected in an elevator of all places. And, and I'd known of him because of work he had done for Ed Fay at Fay Servicing. And so I locked on to him, and I was thinking, one thing I want to bring into our firm is someone who can really is knowledgeable and really great at helping get the right people on the bus. He's got a formula. He's done that at Face Servicing and a number of other companies. So please join me in welcoming Matt Strahl to the program. Matt, good to have you here. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. It's really fun to be here today. You know, it's good It's good to have you here. I'm excited to have our, to get into this discussion, and I'm going to look at the clock, and it goes so fast. But let's get into talking about, you know, getting the right people on the bus and getting the wrong people off the bus, as Jim Collins and David Campbell talked about. What What is new in the talent acquisition? I mean, often referred to, there's, first of all, there's a the large, broad area of recruiting, but then there's true talent acquisition. I want to get into you know, delineating that out. So kind of talk to us about talent acquisition. Well, to me, uh, talent acquisition really is more of a strategic hire where you're focusing uh, concerted efforts to really locate the right fit. And by right fit, I don't just mean culture fit. Everyone seems to talk about that today as being one of the big buzzwords as it has for the last 10 years. We all know that when you're in the industry, you know, the more you know uh, about the industry technically, the better off you'll be anyway. So we're looking for people that uh, typically have three to four times the skill level of what they're actually coming into, whether, whether it be just a, a middle manager, and I don't mean to be, you know, to, to downgrade that, uh, but you do need, when you're doing uh, talent acquisition for senior management and for directly for the CEO of a corporation, you've got to have more of a strategic approach Strategic uh, talent acquisition or recruiting is actually three to five times more intensive than just a basic search that perhaps maybe the corporate HR people would be doing. And, and by that I mean they have a function. Uh, many of the people uh, work at a certain level. Uh, they've perhaps only worked in HR. They don't know the industry quite as well as someone like you or I or some of the other people on the show today. So they don't really know what it truly takes to be an added value to a company. And that's really what strategic search is all about uh, and executive so that's recruiting. that's the strategic part. Yeah. That's where this, when yeah. you come in talking about strategic, it's that. Okay, good. Yeah. good, good. So yep. I always start with this. I mean, when you talk about somebody's, they're passionate about something, it usually is driven by why they exist. So give us some insights to what drives you to be involved in this area and why you have become so good at it. Well, it was kind of funny because my early days in the business, I, I got in as a retail loan officer. Uh, I, I put my nose to the grindstone in L.A. and built a very good following out there. And then uh, I had a game plan. I really wanted to be in ownership. Uh, you know, I knew I had to do certain things to get there. Uh, had to have a certain net worth. Had to had to really look at the world in a, maybe a little different way. But luckily, I'd grown up in a family that was very entrepreneurial, so it was it was kind of second nature in that level. And I think a lot of us sometimes have that uh, exceptional, you know, background where you you just were lucky to to be exposed to some of the things you were. And I think a lot of that's timing and and a variety of things like that. But when I realized what I was really doing when I was running my company, it was really all about talent. And this was about 1990, 91, 92, 
with uh, a really great uh, mortgage company in Los Angeles called South Coast Financial. And we had gone from a broker to a mortgage banker and eventually built a pretty phenomenal servicing portfolio of about a billion dollars before the Los Angeles earthquake. And it was a really interesting time because everybody was learning, and we realized that the people were really what made us. uh, And that always stuck with me. So within the next few years, uh, I, I slowly started moving over toward that. And when the earthquake in Los Angeles happened, uh, you know, basically the writing was on the wall. We lost a $100 million pipeline. Uh, you know, basically our, compa- our company shut down. We funded, I think, closed only about 2 to $5 million out of that whole pipeline. And that was our correspondent lending pipeline as well. So that was a big blow to the company, uh, and we just decided to pack it in at that point in time. But, but the talent side of things has stuck with me all through that, and I really realized being part of the sales management team and a partner and then also being heavily involved in operations like you are in some smaller lending operations like that, you really see how important strategic talent is in hiring the right people. So that, that's kind of the motivation that really got me going toward that. And then by 1997, I just decided to go into it full-time. And then it was funny, back and forth, you know, we had the dot-com failure. So I got thrown back in mortgage technology and analytics and a variety of other areas with CoreLogic and Fidelity and a variety of the firms. And it kind of became... Uh, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and basically, uh, you know, putting together consulting teams and services by these companies for my clients, you know, we, again, realized how important talent was. So probably about six or seven years ago, just kind of went full-blown into that, into that field. And uh, very fun. I've learned so much more about it and watched, watched the uh, industry change right before me. We have some mutual friends over at Face Servicing, and they were just blown away with what you were able to do for them. So use that as a case study to help differentiate, you know, what you did there versus what others might have done. I mean, what was your approach there that made that engagement so successful for you? Well, it was kind of interesting. I went in originally as a retained search provider for uh, their underwriting team and located quite a few DE underwriters for the company. We hired two of the best. Uh, that actually transitioned into meeting with Ed Fay, who was the president of the company. Great guy, uh, very brilliant uh, visionary type. Uh, he and his partners formed Fay Servicing. They're a mortgage servicing uh, company out of Chicago, one of only two large ones in, in the whole city here. And they basically uh, they needed some help, and we didn't really realize how much help they needed. They uh, you know, there were, there were things missing, like a, a fully compliant applicant tracking system, uh, you know, manual HR procedures. If you could dive into a fully, you know, if you could explain that real quickly. Okay. Well, to me, uh, basically, there's a lot of analogs between HR and the mortgage business in general. And by that, I mean uh, the LOS systems that are out on the market today uh, tend to be you know, very aware of compliance laws and regulations and regulatory uh, builds within the, within the software itself. So basically, the applicant tracking systems, which most of us use in the industry in one form or another, have really kind of finally gone that way quite heavily over the last few years. And that means you, we're finally able to get analytics out of it. We're finally able to really track anything and everything we're doing. We're able to be fully compliant and automated, uh, you can build your operations into an extremely efficient machine uh, with with very good regard to budget. So there's all different levels of tools out there and platforms for the companies to use. And really, 
that was part of the, the service I provided to Ed. They they didn't have one in there. I did an executive summary of six uh, of the top uh, systems that they needed to know about. I, we did it with a Lean Six Sigma process so that we were really uh, well thought out and, and made our decisions well. So we implemented that. And then during yeah, that thing, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go finish, ahead. finish your thought on that because I want to yeah. talk, talk about these systems. I want to, while you're talking, seeing as I've interrupted you already, let me do this. <laughs> what systems are you specific? I heard you speak LOS. I want to make sure our, our listeners are clear on the systems you're talking about here. Okay, loan origination system is an LOS. Every mortgage company right. in the in the country obviously has one. Yep. Most sophisticated firms in the mortgage business are going to have some form of an applicant tracking or HR platform. That's what now, I'm talking about. Many of those platforms are simply outdated or no longer viable. Once a company's been around six, eight, ten years, they've gone from a headcount of 50 people to 300 or 500, and they cannot. It really doesn't serve the company correctly to have uh, something perhaps they started on years ago. But oftentimes, you know, we're creatures of habit. We don't get rid of those things. And then people like me come in and do studies, and we take a look at the, the landscape and the technology that's there, and we offer some, some possible solutions for them. So I really look at this more as a consulting engagement as opposed to just strategic staffing or, or a recruiting function, because recruiting is, is, to me, really part of what HR really is. And uh, when you start getting into middle and upper-level management, you really have to be st- strategic in your mindset, your goals, your skill sets, uh, a variety of the things. And I'll tell you what, today analytics is king. The, the, the more people I see to get hired, the analytical background is really off the charts. People are very well aware of, of the metrics, not only across HR but across the whole enterprise. They're very, very well aware about KPIs across the company. And all of these things now are translatable into the platform with uh, the applicant tracking systems and some of the things you can buy. Now, obviously, you know, I can, I can give you an example of some of the best ones, which would be like an iSIMS platform or an Oracle platform, human capital management. Those are the benchmarks and kind of leaders for the big banks and then for the mortgage banking uh, industry that I, I've seen out there, and I would heartily recommend if a, if a company is big enough to afford those or look at those, I would definitely recommend that if if you've been with your same platform for quite a while. But obviously, Oracle is is a major investment for any corporation, so it's not really going to apply to the mid-tier companies and some of the smaller ones. But that's where I can help, and I uh, like to think that you know we can share a lot of best practices from from uh, many of the clients in the past and and build the teams accordingly and you know I that's one of the things that I think when you transform a company you really have to look at the talent you've got to look at potentially uh, what are the what are the potential problem areas? Do we have problem employees that we really need to deal with? How do we deal with those? What uh, you know what are the red flags you know for example that that really uh, tell a senior management and HR that there are some serious problems within a company. You know, a couple of those would be attrition rate. You know, it's it, if it's sky high or it's too high and it's not improving, and too high to me is anything above 30%. In, in the mortgage industry, I go by the rule of thirds, <laughs> which we all laugh about. Mm-hmm. But there's always 30% coming, going, and staying in whatever relationship you look at that. So the big idea is a great company needs to recognize that and figure out how to lower those rates and increase the the retention time because turnover is probably the biggest enemy of of all companies, uh, mortgage, title, you know, real estate. 
And how do you maintain that? And uh, I have a few answers, you know, if uh, if we want to yeah. go further on that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to go further into that a little bit, quite frankly. I want to talk also a little bit about some of the positions that you have worked on and if there's different statistics related to some of these versus, like, for example, leadership and managerial versus a CFO position versus, you know, uh, the sales side of a business versus technology, governance, and all that. So if you could kind of yeah, mix that in here, I think it would be valuable information. Yeah, you know, when when you're looking at really uh, doing an executive search or strategic uh, managerial people that are really vital key personnel, uh, you really need to be thorough. I mean, you've got to do your due diligence on everything. As uh, the guys were saying earlier, you really need to look at the performance of the, of the candidate in the background and see his results. Uh, especially especially with someone like a CFO as well, because they're basically responsible for, for creating and setting up the governance and management of most HR departments and then the budget accordingly for, for staffing and, and general HR personnel. So the whole idea is you've got to make strategic hires with these people. This is not something that, you know, a general recruiter is going to do, uh, you know, without a lot of years' experience and the right people to help you know, learn the industry on the job. Now, sales teams are, are a very fun thing to do because you can outsource that and do what the big thing in the industry today is recruitment process outsourcing, especially of uh, mortgage sales teams. And that's a, that's a big plus because when you can dedicate somebody and lower your cost per hire, which is one of the most important statistics in staffing anyway, when you can lower that cost per hire where it's really affordable for the client to do it, it's, it's usually less expensive to outsource that whole function to a firm than it is to to keep it inside. But there are a couple of other key ways that I could help companies do that internally. It takes, you know, very talented people in there and again, you know, strategically picking the right people for the job that have a proof of history and performance, that's really what you're looking for today. And it's almost mandatory. And again, bringing those analytics and that kind of background in, into the overall scope of things—that's—that's that's mandatory. I think and today. Cost to acquire or hire bring on is very, very important. I want to get. I have. I want to talk just briefly about that, and then I'm going to toss the mic to Alice and then to Joe. So if you guys can kind of get your questions, if you have any ready. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the cost to hire. I mean, is that even on the radar screen of the average company? Well, believe it or not, uh, a lot of the recruiting staff and HR staff will probably know that. Uh, does that translate across the board to senior management all the time? Uh, not really, not what I've seen. Uh, and I've had the, the good fortune of working with with quite a few companies over the years. And most of the time when I ask a senior executive, do you know what your actual cost per hire is for any one of your divisions or the whole company on a median average? And do you know what the timeline is for that as well? Those are two metrics that are absolute. Those need to be focused on. They need, and that again can go back to your overall recruiting budget, what your what your corporate spend is. Uh, you really need to take a look at that. And again, where is that going to start? That starts with the CFO, and then translates into the HR and the EVPs of HR within most of the companies or senior managers that also are, are handling that. So, the cost of the actual recruit, for example, on a sales team. Uh, you can get that pretty low when you're looking for loan officers. You could be as low as, you know, three to four thousand dollars per headcount, or give or take, maybe even five or seven in certain certain regions. And some people would love to have that that actual cost per hire, 
Uh, other times, uh, you know, again, if you're looking for sales management and, and higher-level personnel, it may be double that or triple that. And then uh, an even bigger issue, though, is, is the cost of a position going unfilled or unhired. That's actually the way we break that down is two and a half times that annual salary. That goes for executives down to just general personnel. So the length of time a position is open and divided by 12 months is really the cost of that opportunity that's being lost. So those are those are the technical areas that that great staffing people, great executive search and strategic search people really focus in on. They try to make a dent, uh, yeah, they dent, they put a dent in that and they try to really help the client and show how they can do things a little better with better processes. Alice, I'll let you dive into the question if you have any questions for Matt. Then over to you, Joe. Yeah. I do, uh, Matt. So, you know, we are an outsourced service provider. So, you know, we are, uh, I was glad to hear you say you advocate that. <laughs> so certainly <laughs> staffing is something that uh, that we live. So I'm, I'm interested. Thank you for sharing those metrics with us. How have you found the market uh, to be today? I mean, it's a very competitive market out there for, you know, for underwriters. And I know a lot of our, our companies, so kind of a twofold question, because it's so competitive, a lot of companies try and just leverage what they can find online through various, you know, uh, social sources, um, you know, the, the various um, career builders, um, Monster, and they try and do this themselves. Um, so I think with the competitive nature of our business, is it something you can do yourself internally? It can be done, but you've got to be pretty sophisticated about it. And, you know, is is a junior recruiter going to be able to go out and build a strategic team I don't quite think they're there yet, you know, as, uh, you know, if an employer is trying to have someone build a senior management team when they've only got a couple of years in recruiting experience. Now, if they have some prior mortgage experience and really understand the mortgage world or the title world or real estate world, that can be a slightly different thing. And again, any any one person could potentially do pretty well in this. So I don't mean to make it sound like it's an impossible science or, or people can't do that, but it, it does take a complete framework of technology. And I even use the, the job boards and the things like that, but that's a starting point for me. And I think you'll find the more sophisticated staffing experts are going to have their own databases that could be pretty deep. For example, I've got the NMLS 50,000-plus uh, loan officers across the country. I don't think every company out there would have access to that data. That comes from prior uh, business ventures that I had done, and, and it was not, not an ex- inexpensive tool to get. And it's, it's actually a great tool because I can go look the people up online, and I have, you know, obviously names in every state of people that we can go for. So there are strategic ways that eventually over time, if you're involved in this and you're a good mortgage person or you just understand the business, you can kind of figure it out. But oftentimes what I'll even do is I'll go in and help somebody build out that agency-style recruiting operation, which is really kind of what you need in a, in a company like this and or any company that that is wanting to, you know, kind of keep an eye on their budget, but they still need help from outside. There, there's some quicker, better, smarter ways to do this. Yes. Good, good question, Alan Joe. Yeah, uh, well, you you just hit on uh, recruiting originators, and that's on everyone's mind. Everyone's wanting to to grow their production by. Uh, you know, adding the right originators. So talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the market right now for specifically recruiting originators and, and what seems to be most successful. 
Well, it is that is always one of the uh, number one, one of the highest turnover positions within most companies, unfortunately, and also one of the uh, the ones that never it's a never ending cycle, in my opinion. And having been on both sides of the coin of hiring and and trying to help build companies, uh, it's not the easiest thing today. I think uh, you know. Uh, Alice hit it on the head. It is becoming tougher across the board. We have to be more more strategic and intelligent than we ever have. We've got to use every tool that's available to us out there. Uh, I personally, uh, you know, I, I believe in the power of advertising and, and social media and things like that. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And a lot of the time you really just have to target market uh, the people you're trying to work with and build relationships with them over time. Uh, and, you know, any one lender may or may not be a good fit for any given loan officer as well. So you really need, you know, I hate to say it, it's more of a culture fit and a mentality. Sure. Some, some people are meant to work for banks. Others work really well in a mortgage banking environment, and some work better even in a brokerage environment or or some other form of it. So we we really have to keep all that in mind and then kind of put together a strategy and target the, the correct people. And it's not the easiest thing in the world, especially, you know, people – have so much access to technology on both sides of the coin today that really it's it's getting to your market. How do you reach the right people? And, and you have to have inside tools. You've got to be members of the MBA. You've got to be members of, of your state uh, mortgage banking association. You've, you've got to pay attention to your local state NMLS. There's a lot of different ways that you have to go about things if you really want results, and that would be what I mean by that is high-volume results because most people mm-hmm. building sales teams are going to be looking for 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 people, you know, over the course of a year or more. So, Good stuff. I mean, there's, there's so much. This is a broad, deep topic we could go on and on and on about. But I think it's we, we, you've cracked the lid on it, and I want to continue this discussion, but we're flat out of time. But So we're going to have you back, man, because I've, I've gotten several requests. I've got more questions thrown at me through text messages here. And uh, so we clearly want to get into this. A lot of them are in the producer area, the production area. Uh, a lot of people want to know about the systems that you're using. We've got some questions coming in about, you know, what is an acceptable rate of turnover, Matt, in the production. So this has generated a lot of interest. So clearly we're going to have to have you back and be talking about it, and we'll do that again soon. But for people that want to get a hold of you right now to talk to you, what is the most effective way for them to contact you? Well, they can they can call me directly. They're more than welcome to call here, or uh, you know, uh, basically send an email or something like that to me. Uh, the best way to probably reach me uh, quickly, if uh, you really would like some help, or you want to just discuss the state of the of of operations that you're working with, I'll be glad to help and and uh, talk to you further about that. It'd be three one two nine three three four seven four seven. And by the way, if if the phone is busy, please do leave a message. It's my cell phone, and it's usually always on. But again, the number is 312-933-4747, and I'm usually available. You could also meet, email them at mstrahl, S-T-R-A-H-L, at tms-advisors.com. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the program today. I really appreciate you being here. There's so much to talk about on this. I, I, I'm just always amazed that when it comes to recruiting, how deep that that topic is. So we'll definitely have you back. Look forward to it. Appreciate you, everybody, tuning in and being a part of the program. Got some exciting stuff coming up here uh, next week. I'm 
Who do we have? Ah, man, I don't have it right here in front of me. I apologize for that. We've got some really exciting information uh, coming up next week. And the guests that we have, we want to hear from you, who you'd like to see on the program. So it's good to have you with us. Have a great week, everybody, and see you back here next week. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.